made it. It's a day of rejoicing because you made it for a purpose. That's to rejoice and be glad. We are doing that, Father, in your presence. Father, I thank you that our minds are alert, our hearts are fixed on you, our ears are open and attentive to hear your word, and we will receive it and respond to it. So we thank you. Father, I just bind any perversion of hearing and twisting in our thinking, in our minds, our hearts, anything that would cause the word to not fall on good ground. And we thank you for that, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen and praise God. Amen, amen, amen. So today we're going to talk about the faith, the fact that your faith will take you across the finish line. Amen. It will take you across the finish line. I wrote to the finish line. Well, we just got to go across it, right? So uh, it's important for us to know that our faith causes us to succeed. Uh, This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. And so, of course, when we talk about our faith, we talk about all the other spiritual forces that help our faith. But when we talk about faith, we, we talk about it as a, an active force in our lives, that it must come into play. You must desire the things that you ask for. You must desire God to be your helper. You have to desire all the things that go along with the faith in the Son of God. And so when you understand how powerful that is, that Jesus has given us a legacy of faith that moves mountains, faith that hopes against hope faith that does the impossible uh, then we'll realize how important it is to recognize the power that's in our faith the bible says when jesus talked to peter he he admonished him he says satan has desired to sift you like wheat and what that means is that we have somebody opposing our faith all the time when the enemy comes to sift us that means he comes to take everything away from us to shake up our lives and put us in a a big mixer and so that everything that we care about falls through the bottom amen so it's a a sifter really means somebody is wanting you to fail but jesus said i have prayed for you and what your faith will not fail amen so we have no fail faith because jesus has already prayed for us to make it across the finish line so if he's already prayed for us to make it across the finish line trust me we are going to make it amen we are going to make it across the finish line because he has already prayed for us and our faith will not fail so i think it's a good thing sometimes when you wake up in the morning to just begin to confess so that you can hear yourself say some of those things father i thank you that you are crazy and love with me that you have prayed for me and i have no fail faith and i'm going to start off by exercising my faith in you and thanking you for a great day not just a good day not just a, a mediocre day not the minimum but the maximum that you have promised me this day because my faith will not fail because you have prayed for me i'm not the, the the biggest baddest thing in the kingdom but you have prayed for me and for that reason my faith will not fail 
It will work every single time. Everything I need it for, it will work for me today and every day in Jesus' name. And then hop out of the bed and see how you feel. (laughs) Amen. See if you don't feel better for having stated that before God, for heaven and earth. And before the holy angels so that they can be alert to, to do, do their assignment in your life. Wake up with a bunch of company helping you and guiding you <clears throat> and leading you. So it's a wonderful thing to have faith in God. So we're going to talk about your faith taking you across the finish line. I've found a familiar passage of scripture and, and it's don't let familiarity make you lose respect for what we talk about in the word because there's always more meaning. Uh, if you understand it a little bit, you'll understand it more. Uh, the, the The word of God is given to us for edification, building up. And so it's funny how we forget the word so fast and you need reminders continually. So that's why we meet on a regular basis to remind ourselves of the things of that God's promised us in his word. So in um, Matthew chapter 14, we'll use this account of the scripture starting in verse 21, I think. And... uh, 22. It's a, this is after Jesus had just fed the multitudes. Now think about it. These disciples have just witnessed a major miracle. But it's funny how major miracle faith can wear off so quickly in the face of challenges. But keep that in mind, okay? Because Jesus has in, in, uh, and I think in many ways, God builds us up to a test in our faith. So the faith for a miracle is already deposited on the inside of them. Amen? At the feeding of the 5,000. So so understand these things. Keep them in the proper context because if you don't, you'll kind of, you'll never identify in certain things. You know, you gotta keep it all together in your thinking. So they have been prepped by faith for they've just seen a miracle. In fact, they participated in a miracle, haven't they? When God says, when he handed the food first to who? The disciples. Amen. Don't be afraid to say it. There's no wrong answer here, okay? It's just recollection. He hands it to the disciples. So if I had you work with me at the altar, what do you think that would do for you? If I tell you, Miss Wanda, you take this lady and walk her back and forth across the altar. I've handed off the anointing to you to work to get that lady healed. If I do that to you often enough, what do you think will happen to you? Huh? You receive the anointing for healing. What you, what you partake of and handle becomes yours because it's promised to you. All you got to do is believe God for it. Amen? So that when you go out on the streets to pray for people, how do you think you'd receive that? You'd be from exposure. So that's what the disciple, that's what discipleship does. It exposes you to the real thing. So that at some point you'll begin to understand that there is a real unction for you to minister to people. Amen? Not to each other in the church. You gotta understand what the believer's anointing it's for. Not to lay hands on your pastor or lay hands on one another and let's have a, a pretend healing party. 
but it's to do real work out there in the real world on your kids. Pray for some of them renegades up in your household. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? Send some prayer cloths to them. Let them reject you and cuss you out. But they'll receive that. They'll they'll know that there's been a, a, a servant of God among them. You got me? Never let your fear of a reaction make you hinder you in stepping out in faith to do things. Somebody needs to say amen. And move off of, of ground zero and move over into real action. Because the anointing is for you to minister to your loved ones first and foremost. Your Jerusalem, your Judea, Samaria, then the uttermost part. But m- many of us haven't touched Jerusalem yet. You know what I'm saying? So it's for you to minister to loved ones. But that's how it's received. Through faithful service. Under that anointing. Amen. So if you're a faithful servant. At your time of need. God will impart that to you. So that you. Because it's part of your inheritance. Why wouldn't you be able to get people. Uh, sick people healed. But that's how it happens. It happens through paying attention and through exposure. And not through running off trying to set up a ministry. It just happens by God allowing that to be your portion. And, and using some basic common sense. You know, if you, like I'll tell mothers, I said, quit rubbing your baby so much and start casting devils out of them. And you lay hands on them, you take authority. It's not always for comfort. There's some things you can comfort them later, but get that devil out of them first and take authority over sickness and then you can comfort them amen there's a certain order to this kind of thing you know i see and it's a good thing to comfort your infants and comfort your children but you also got to learn how to take authority when it's needed because you you're you're a spirit being your spirit is active and aware of things that are not right so when you know it's the devil you do that first and then you know (laughs) like like jesus told a man with the the son throwing him in the throwing him in the fire you don't go pet him the devil's got him. You get that out of him. And the father was smart enough to know he needed some authority in casting that devil out, you know. And so, um, so, but, but that's the way the anointing operates. It operates that way. So the disciples had had exposure to miracle power that very afternoon. Whatever you're exposed to, God expects you to receive it, to operate in it. And to possess it as belonging to you. You're a disciple. You're not waiting for somebody to give you a class on how to pray for the sick. If you're in a ministry where the sick are prayed for, that's your training ground. We don't have to have a special class for it. Just the fact that you're in that atmosphere. You can lift your hands and say, God, I want to receive that power. You promised it to me. I believe that power is for me and for me to work for you. And I receive it in Jesus' name. Amen. And don't go around parading it and don't go around arguing with people about it either. That's not what it's for. It's for you to be able, it's part of your spiritual equipment so that you can, God can use you to really pray for people and help people. You ought to scare your family one day, invite them over for dinner and say, well, God's told us to pray for everybody here, line up and watch them run out of the door. Oh, they'll get used to it. 
Listen, they, they, my family done me like that ever since I was, this is before I was a minister. Everybody's, you know, what's wrong with her? You know, she did lose her mind. She thinks she well. She, you know, all that kind of stuff. I say, yeah, I know I'm well. Weller than you are, you sinner. Get on over here. Now they expect it. I pass a, a prayer request box around at Thanksgiving and everybody signs something and put it in there. You know, uh, and, and they know the difference. They know I'm not playing with them and this isn't nonsense. This isn't some kind of game I'm playing with people. You understand me? Get people to understand who you are. You know, start being who you are. And then people will understand who you are. They don't come to me with nonsense. I, well, I got one nephew that's just a lunatic, but you know, hate to say that, but he's, not all there sometimes. He plays around too much with the things of the Holy Ghost and God really upsets me. So I have to keep a comfortable distance from him at the family things because we clash and see I'll beat him up and call the police too. He makes me that angry because there's something wrong if you're a Christian and you still play around with the things of God. See something's not right somewhere. But we pray for him, but he knows better. I'm sure he does. He's just not being all there sometimes. But you'll have a few people that you still have to contend with. But for the most part, once you establish who you are and who you are in their lives, they will know when they have trouble, they come to you. And you're not going to play around with them. You're not going to soft pedal things when they're serious. And that's all I want is serious people. I don't want people patronizing me, trying to be nicer. Just come when you want God's business taken care of in your life and we'll get along just fine. So you have to establish your identity as a believer with everybody. You know, people always think you're crazy. It doesn't matter really doesn't matter. And so when you start understanding who you are and start dealing with things the way God wants them dealt with, you will find that you have the power to do everything God wants you to do. You got to be about God's business though. Make this a business. Amen. You're not always in for, for pleasure and for, you know, for play and parties and all that family gatherings, but make it for business and do God's business. You'll be happy one day that you did. Once you see them all turning around and coming to God, you'll be happy you stood for God's business. Amen. But you gotta do that first. Amen. So, we, so here we have the disciples, they're being prepped for what's good, what they're gonna be confronted with later on that evening. How do they get prepped? By handling miracle working power. The fact that they touched that bread and saw it multiplied means that they were endued with power from on high. What you touch, you receive of, if you have an attitude of receiving. This is how the anointing operates. Now, many times when you hear a good tape or a good teaching, you can get a feeling. But when you get in that atmosphere and begin to handle the things in that atmosphere, that's where your real impartation comes. You know, when you hear good teaching, you get an impartation of knowledge. You get an impartation of understanding. Your spirit man gets trained to respond to the word of God. But for the most part, what you have in your immediate environment is where you receive the impartation. Got me? And so people in this ministry, you've already received impartation.
impartations of healing anointing. But most of you don't go out and use it. Because many times we don't expect God to open a door for us to pray for somebody. Or we'll wonder if we ought to ask somebody and by then the unction's passed. You know what I'm saying? So you gotta take this seriously. You gotta say, God, put somebody in my path for me to pray for. Man, outside of the church. You, you are off limits to one another, okay? Cause I think that's called sheep abuse when people give each other these stupid words and I won't say stupid, you know, but it's, to me it's foolishness. Why waste your time? There's a whole world out there dying for us to go and serve them. And we play around with each other in the church, try to pretend like we're anointed and all that kind of stuff. We're going to cut that stuff out, folks, and start dealing with real people. So when God has an assignment before us, he equips us for that assignment. And so you'll see the disciples now have been equipped for everything that they're going to need to do for the rest of the time until Jesus meets with them and, and equips them further. So it says here right away, Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him to the other side of the the sea while he sent the multitudes away so jesus gives them a head start on the destination he be, he finishes up ministering to the multitude of people there and so he intends to make his way to meet them at some point he doesn't tell them that they don't ask about it but they just need to be obedient to what the master commands Everything that Jesus commands us to do, we have the faith to do it. We just fear stepping out. And oftentimes we don't expect, like you'll hear the word, but you don't expect for there to be an opportunity to use what you just heard. But I think we need to start doing that. In fact, I know we do. Because your faith will never be put to work if you don't expect to have an opportunity to use it. And you have to expect that yourself. God, it's like, you know, the people who I know who have had ministries where they raise people from the dead. Whenever they would read it in the Bible, they say, I just kept, kept saying, I just want to be around a dead person to see if I could do that. And that's the faith. That's where the faith of it goes. That's how it happens. You just say to yourself, I want to do that. You ever look in the Bible and find something and say, I want to do that? You should. You should say, I want to do that. If it's for a believer to do, I want to do that. Homeless people under the, 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 uh, and we avoid those areas. Oh, I hope I don't have to get off the freeway. <laughs> you know? <laughs> God, let me get off the freeway. That's what our prayer should be. You know what I'm saying? We try to avoid too many opportunities for God to use us. That's why we seldom get used by God. I mean, your family members one thing, but how many opportunities do we pass up? You know it when we go out here to minister on the streets. There are people people will stop you and ask for prayer when they see that T-shirt. Amen. And so we need to start thinking like that all the time. God, I'm available. Just say it one time. God, I'm available. Don't be afraid to say it. Every morning when you get up, God, I'm available for you to use me to minister to somebody. 
Pray for people. Don't always try to lead them to the Lord. Ask them if they need prayer. He'll open the door for that. But this is where we fail many times. We'll ask people if they want to be saved. They don't even know God. How do they get to know God? Through our prayers for them. You go to somebody and they're sick and they go to the doctor and the doctor tells them, I don't know what happened, but that's not there anymore. You can't tell me they won't want God after that. And see what we've done, we followed the Baptists. And we just want to lead people to the Lord. That's why they don't get really strong conversions. They get a lot of people in their churches, but they drop in and drop out. Live in sin while they're in the church. Big problem. They are even baptized in the Holy Spirit. And I'm not putting anybody's denomination down. But when you refuse part of the gospel, you refuse the whole thing. You can't chop it up and take the parts you think are comfortable for you and then want to preach that only. So we ask people if they want prayer. And if they don't know the Lord, you'll find it out soon enough. Amen. When we, when we had our grill and, and fish fry, there's a young man. He just kept standing there, kept standing there, kept standing. I say, you back again? And so I went over to him. I said, do you know God wants to do something for you? I said, I'm going to pray a minute and find out what it is. And then I asked him, I said, do you know the Lord personally? No, I never, never had a chance. I said, well, do you want to give your life to Christ right now? Yeah, I do. I said, well, that's what he keeps bringing you back here for. You understand what I'm saying? It's It's not just... I'm frying chicken, but I ain't just frying chicken. You know, you don't put that, ever put that off your, your ministry to the lost off for the sake of just doing what you do. You gotta be able to drift over into the realm of the spirit where God, God, God points people out to me. That's, that's how he works with me. If, if they stand out, I gotta find out from God, why are you pointing that person out to me? You got me? For you it will be something else. Amen? But offer God to people. Offer help to them. Everybody needs prayer for something. Amen? If you need prayer, they need prayer. You're in the boat. Amen? So if we need it, they need it. Even more. <clears throat> so Jesus tells his disciples, okay, you're equipped. Now get over to the other side. They got enough faith to get over there. Because if Jesus tells you to do something, you have the faith to do the job. Amen. Our faith must be engaged at all times for us to reap the benefit God wants us to have. So you can't just put your faith aside, use it when you have an emergency, because you'll always have emergencies if that's the only time you pull it out. Jesus wants us to use our faith at all times, even if it's to thank him for being present with you, to thank him. That's an exercise of your faith. Whenever you put the word out there uh, toward God, that's an exercise of your faith. Amen. When you thank him for healing him, more healing comes to you. Because you're exercising your faith where I thank you, I'm healed. I thank you, Lord, I am healed. And pretty soon those symptoms get less and less. Pretty soon you even forget there was anything wrong with you. Because it's gone. Amen. So always have your faith in motion. Amen. So then Jesus gives them the faith for their journey. Whatever he tells you to do, whatever you're praying for, he has given you the faith for that. 
So our faith must be engaged at all times for us to reap the benefit God wants us to have. Now, in verse 22, you see the command of, of God. And he tells them to go to the other side. So if they obey that, and they do, then they are exercising their faith that they will get over to the other side. Amen? So that's all you need to do is focus on the task at hand while you're doing it. Just focus on what God has given you to do this one time. Focus is very important in the successful completion of anything that God gives you to do. You must stay focused on the task at hand. Why? Because distraction is a strategy of the devil. Why? Because Proverbs 4 says, pay attention to my words. I don't know of a proverb almost that doesn't tell you to focus on God's word. Give attention. Give ear. Give it your full attention. Give it your undivided attention. Why is that so important? Because distraction is a strategy of the enemy to defeat us. What is distraction? Anything that that breaks your focus on the word of God. If you're trusting God for healing, a main distraction is always symptoms. Some people get up and check their body for symptoms before they even say hello to God. Now I know that's true because I did it. I stayed nervous about certain things. I was anxious. When was it going to happen? Huh, huh, huh. Like, you know, God hasn't done anything for me. And I had to realize, I said, wait a minute. Get yourself in faith first. Worship God first. Why are you addressing the devil? That's really what it is. You're so afraid. You just address the devil and keep your mind so tense about what. How do I feel? How do I feel? What's wrong? What's wrong? What's wrong? What's Huh? Start finding out what's right. If you look for what's right, it's there. It's there. It's a matter of focus. I see people don't like you saying stuff like that. Well, I keep believing I'm doing the best I can. There's more to do. It's always more to do. Amen? So just do the more. Do more. You can do more. You just think you can't. Because we're so accustomed to giving up. You know, we're so accustomed to living the natural when it's convenient. And so, uh, I can tell you one thing. Most people who, who, uh, you'll find people who, uh, um, maybe even are terminally ill. They all want to go to Disney World. You understand me? They all want to engage in something that makes them feel like they're healed. It's just true. So that's a natural human tendency to want to forget about your pains, your woes, your cares, and get over into living again. Well, we have that in the Word. So it should be more normal for us to go to the word and feel alive again than it would be to focus on the things that are still remaining 
of false symptoms of illness. You're not really sick. You're healed. You can't be both. You have to decide which one you are. If you're healed, stay healed. If you're healed, speak healed. If you're healed, act healed. Amen. Just let your whole being come into agreement that you're healed. And pretty soon it will manifest. You just have to give it a chance. So this is a different way of doing things. You know, a different way of doing things. I have a little friend on Facebook and I feel so badly for her. Her whole life now is going on there every day and telling people what kind of pain she has. And how sick she is. And she's a Christian. See? But see, if you put something on there, get off of here with your complaining and getting the word. Shut down your Facebook page and go into seclusion with God so you can get healed. See, you're a mean person when you do that. <laughs> but that's really what needs to be done because it's the truth. She's got a covenant with God that she doesn't even exercise for wanting to get on there and keep telling people how bad her life is. You see what I'm saying? If you have Christ, you don't have a bad life. You just haven't tapped in fully to the good life that he has provided for you. So it's it's challenging, but it's not impossible. Your faith will get you to the other side. It will get you to cross the finish line. You just have to stay with your faith. I know it doesn't seem like it's working. It doesn't seem like, but you're not into seeming. You're into reality of God's word. You know, if you're going to live in a reality of God's word, you're going to have to stay with that. Because there's ample encouragement for us in the word of God for the things that we desire. It's not going to be instantaneous all the time, but sometimes you will get some instant victories. And God allows those to keep you going. Those are encouragements and incentives that you're on the right track. Just stay with it. Amen. So faith got to be engaged at all times for us to reap the benefit God wants us to have. There's a response we must have to the command of God and then there's God's response. So we have a responsibility, but God also has responsibility. Don't ever think you're in this alone. Or God's testing you to see how much torture you can endure before he gives you what you ask for. That's just so wrong. Well, the enemy will make your mind go like that. You know, then why do I have to have this? And why is this so bad? Why, 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 why? I don't know. And I don't think you want to know either. But what you want to know is that God's healed you already. Your healing will come if you stay with the word. Got to stay with the word. Amen. So in verse 22, he tells them, go to the other side. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up to a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was blowing against it or was contrary to it. Now, that contrary wind represents the world that we live in. Don't expect... An easy ride all the time when you go to believe God for something. Because just, just the atmosphere around us is contrary to us. Amen? Everything in your atmosphere points to the natural. Amen? What you're gonna eat, what you're gonna drink, what you're gonna wear, who says what, everything around you is influenced by the natural, is focused on the natural. So that's your contrary wind. 
It's always going to be there, folks. It's never going to go away. It's never going to be anything different than what you make it. So understand that that contrary wind is always there. Don't wish it away. Don't get angry at it. Don't wonder why you keep these things, thoughts keep coming to you. That's the contrary wind. So it's going to be there. It's up to you to overcome it. So your, your healing, your financial victory, all of that comes by way of overcoming the contrary wind. Because if it was already there and there was no opposition, you'd have it already. But there is a contrary wind that comes against every promise that we, we set out to obtain in God. <clears throat> it says the ship was now in the midst of the sea tossed with waves, for the wind was against it. And then, um, uh, in, in, that contrary wind, anything that's against where you're going, brings with it a certain element of fear that you are not going to get what God has for you. That somehow it's not going to happen for you. That's what the contrary wind speaks. It speaks, it, it comes out of fear, and it comes, the natural world that we live in is a fear-based natural world. You see it now more than anything because we have factions of people clashing in the streets now and the, the, the aggressors always use fear against the people that they are attacking. It's always a threat. Uh, it's always uh, intimidation. It's always an accusation. It's always something contrary to what you think, what you believe, what you know is right. It's always something contrary. Uh, Miss Clyde was saying they she saw this huge group of young people on her way over here. She kept stopping people, asking them what it was, and she couldn't understand what they were saying. A two-day cannabis contest. Pot smokers. Yeah. So, I mean, this is a contrary wind, folks. Uh, and it's coming against your neighborhood. So the devil is not hiding what he wants. He wants possession of people, period, any way he can get them. It's not bad enough we've got to contend with human trafficking and people smuggling babies across the border. You know, as though they're not killing enough of them in abortion. There's some, uh, I think it was, uh, Troy Marshall. Remember him from, um, uh, Roberts Laird's ministry, worked with Roberts years ago. Well, Troy is his own uh, ministry. And he, uh, is a missionary still over in Honduras and Taiwan, uh, places like that. Well, in Honduras, he, the, he went to an orphanage where those children were abandoned by the parents who joined the caravan to come up here. So they just don't have any parents. And um, there's tons of them down there. The ones that couldn't sell their children abandoned them. They have nobody. You see what I'm saying? No, those parents need to be found and shipped right back there to their children. Take care of your children. Stop doing this stuff. But see, they've been paid by these smugglers who want them in here. You know, they, they think they're starting a new world order. Every time one has been started... God stopped it. Amen. He always stops it. 
If there's anybody that thinks they're taking over this world because Jesus is Lord of all, nobody gets that title but him. And when people move to do that, he steps in and stops it himself. He doesn't need intercessors. He doesn't need church people. He defends his own kingdom when he needs to. When Hitler tried it, he stopped him. When the Romans tried it, he stopped them. And when the the Tower of Babel was being built, he stopped them. He stops everybody by take from taking over his position. They won't get it. And so that's what's happening here. Uh, these people have just run into God. They think they've run into President Trump, but they run into God, folks. And if you don't think God called him, that's between you and God. But I would rather believe his prophets and prosper and quit the nonsense out and read your Bible and understand what's really going on here. This is beyond your political affiliation and who you like and who you don't like. You got to recognize when God's stepping in to challenge the status quo. This nation was on its way to being turned over to a global conglomerate of socialists. You lost everything you got. Your property doesn't belong to you. When a global government comes in, you have no personal property. You don't have a house. You don't have a car. You don't have anything. Why you think God's been having us pray for persecuted communist countries so we don't wind up being one? He has to put that firmly in the hearts of his people. But see, when you see minister after minister compromise on God's word, you know how close we've come. Amen. So let's wake up and smell the coffee and start smelling it right. Amen. Amen. So Jesus decides to meet the disciples because they're in trouble. Simple as that. The Bible says, when the ship was now in the midst of sea, verse 24, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary, and in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. He is a very present help in trouble. He always shows up when you're about to lose your faith. See, you think God is standing off somewhere watching you struggle, And enjoying it because you don't have enough faith to begin with. That's the craziest thing. But it's amazing how we act like that. You may not say it exactly like that, but we act that way. Instead of going to God and saying, Lord, please help my faith. Please save me. We keep asking, what's wrong? What did I do wrong? What do I need to do now? You put it back on you. It's never been on you. It's not on you to develop your faith. It's not on you to keep exercising your faith. It's up to the Holy Spirit to prompt you what to do. You have more help than you avail yourself of. Why? Because we live in a mindset of condemnation. We always make it harder than, than it really is. This isn't that hard. All you got to do is keep confessing the word instead of questioning God as to what you did wrong. And how you messed up or shrugging your shoulders and say, oh, it'll be okay. It's not going to be okay. It's either okay now or it's never going to be okay. We've got to start understanding that God is your friend. If Jesus came up to them and and when their faith was weakening, he'll come up to you when your faith is weakening. He's there to help you. 
He's not some examiner testing you to see if you get the right answer. Huh? It's not an intelligence quiz. It's not a knowledge quiz. It's not a memory quiz. This is your life. And he's your provider. And he's coming to your assistance to provide what's missing. He knows you don't have it all together. He knows you halfway confess the word and halfway think it'll never happen. (laughs) It's true. He knows all of that and he comes to help us anyway. Isn't that wonderful? I mean seriously. He knows our half efforts. He knows our whining, complaining, wanting to give up. And he still comes to help us. If you think this is a a test of you having it all together, think again. This is your learning how to use your faith. That's all it is. And Jesus doesn't anybody out. Praise God. God makes sure we learn our lessons. Amen. And he wants you to learn. This isn't some quiz like you won't get a second chance. Even in the stupid high schools, you get to repeat stuff. Why? Because they want you to learn. Believe it or not, as, as much, as little as they do to help you sometimes, they do want you to learn. So Jesus comes to their rescue because he knows everything. He knows when you need help. He knows when you just need to help yourself and start confessing the word again. He knows when you need to repent and just go back to worshiping him. He knows everything. And he is there to help your faith. Just like he said, he's prayed for you and your faith won't fail. He will come to you and help you when your faith begins to get weak. So always cry out to him. Always ask him, God, what do I do now? How do I do this? What's next? I'm not there yet. God, help me to get there. God, I'm tending to think that it will never happen. Please help me. You know what I'm saying? And and he'll help you. Amen. You're not out there by yourself. He's not twisting our arms to make us believe. We have the ability to believe. Amen. Spend some time with him worshiping. Spend some time in the word. Spend some time. And it will shock you how differently you think. You just need to do the things you know you need to do to help yourself stay in the spirit. So <clears throat> Jesus went to them at their time of trouble. He does that to let you know you have more help than you know. This ship was full of fear. Why? They were experienced fishermen. They knew troubled waters already. Why were they so fearful? Now, they had a certain level of natural skill. Now, think about it. They already know it's not their first rodeo here in the, in the ship at night. You know, you, you know that from Peter's testimony. What did he tell Jesus? We've toiled all night. Huh? And caught nothing. So this wasn't their first time being out in the middle of the ocean or middle of the sea in the ship at night. What's so different about this time? Why are they so fearful this time? 
Okay. Jesus is teaching them how to use supernatural faith. Not natural faith. Write that down everybody. Because you need to understand what's going on in your life. This is why the pills will stop working after a while. This is why you're only going to get so healed by what man offers you. This is why you're only going to get so far in your prosperity. You doing the job and getting an extra job and working a little overtime and doing your Uber hustle or doing your Lyft hustle. All of that stuff is only going to avail you so much. Why? Because God has cut it off. He's cut off. He's put a limitation on what he's going to allow you to lean on in the natural. Once you transfer over to the spirit and the supernatural, he means to keep you over there. He doesn't want you flip-flopping back and forth. Running here a little bit in an emergency to get a little bit of natural help over here and then running over him the next time. He wants you to keep all your faith in one basket and not back and forth. Norval Hayes called it prostitute faith. Where you use your faith for natural things when you feel like it. And then you go over to God and ask him for help. It won't work like that. Your supernatural faith will never grow if you're depending on the natural. If you have to take medication to help your symptoms, don't condemn yourself. God doesn't condemn you. I don't condemn you. But you need to start putting a limitation on your dependence on it. So a simple thing that people do sometimes is they talk to their pills. One day I will not have to take you anymore. One day soon you you will be leaving my life in Jesus' name. One day soon I won't have to take you. You talk to it to break your tie to it in dependency for it being your only source of help. And I thank you, Jesus, by your stripes I'm healed. It's that simple. Learn to use your supernatural faith more than natural faith. Don't get mad at the doctors. Don't resent them. Don't go to people for help and then resent them for helping you. Bless them. Pray for them. But don't depend on them. And there's a way to disconnect from the natural dependency and over into supernatural dependency. Always add something to it. I take authority over side effects. I'll receive the good, not the bad. Hmm? People say Miss Tony Bunkley did that. Her daughter said they told us that she would be in so much pain they'd have to give her medicine 24-7. They said she seldom took it. She said she always took that pill and said I'll receive the good, not the bad. And they said those those tumors should be uh, causing her severe pain. And she said, no, they just itch a little bit. Do you understand me? Just always use your faith, folks. Always use your faith. That was something we learned years ago, and she hold, held on to it and never forgot it. Always use your faith. So Jesus goes to them in their time of trouble. He knows how much trouble we can take. The Bible says he knows how to deliver the righteous out of trouble, out of temptation. The ship was full of fear. 
Why? Because they had already traded in natural faith for supernatural faith. So you might find that things that didn't used to frighten you so much now are a little more challenging to you because God is expecting you to go to the word for your help. And it's better for you to stay with the word than to bounce back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. So he puts them in some constraint as far as their ability to depend on their natural uh, ability to overcome the fear of a storm in the middle of a sea. Because as fishermen, they probably knew how to ride out a storm. Every man grab a part of that boat and hang on. But God had more or less stripped them of that. So they, and he does that so that we have to come to him for our answer. See, if you don't have uh, a, a, an answer in the natural, then you're more or less forced to use your faith. And it's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. If God didn't think you could use it and be successful, he'd never put you in that position. So the fact that they are in that position means that God knows that they will choose the supernatural because he's on his way to help them. You have more help for yourself using the word of God than you do using natural means. Always. Always. Don't ever forget that. Amen? Amen. Don't ever forget that. There's more help for you to use the word of God than there is for you using natural means. God will always, and see, we think just the opposite. When difficulty comes, we feel abandoned. We feel, you know, condemnation makes us always feel we don't measure up. That's why I tell people, it's good to keep short accounts with God. You know, don't let sin pile up. Don't let disobedience pile up. Don't let bad attitude pile up. Don't let anger and frustration pile up. Because it'll put you over into condemnation and then you really feel abandoned by God. Amen. Love conquers everything. You walk in love and you won't have a hard time getting what you need from the Lord. So they were all <clears throat> in the same boat. They had uh, transferred. Um, okay, Jesus. With him, okay. The, the thing of it is, once you begin to operate in the supernatural, you have transferred your faith over to God's control. So it's not like they don't have resources, but their faith is in God's hands now because Jesus told them, let's go to the other side. So he, Jesus is holding on to that word. He's expecting to get there. But they're not because of fear. Now it's in jeopardy. And so when we have our faith in Jesus... We have to depend on him to help us. Amen. So once you start to believe God's word for finances, healing, for uh, anything that you might need, for favor, for blessing, whatever it is, you must leave it in his hands and see it out to completion. Amen. You must see it out to completion. So verse 25 In the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit, and they cried out for fear. So here you see evidence of how fearful they were. They didn't even recognize Jesus. 
Even though they knew he could do many, many supernatural things, they'd never seen him do this before. And so they're so panicked and wrought with fear that they're even afraid of the master when he shows up. And so Jesus immediately speaks to them and says, be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. So when Jesus comes, he comes immediately with your answer. Their answer is not get us out of the boat. Their answer is don't be afraid. That's our answer too. Whenever we think we're not receiving something fast enough, it's because we're in some kind of fear. And we'll even try and make it sound religious or spiritual and say, well, uh, maybe my faith isn't what it should be. Or maybe I didn't hear from God. Or maybe that's just a cover up for your fear. You're really afraid because you got yourself worked up and nervous. You let the devil plant some idea in your head. Or you believe the evil report after all. Maybe God doesn't want me to get well. Maybe he, no, he, you're healed already. This is a problem. Maybe you need to change how you think and speak about yourself and allow that healing to take root. Amen? Amen. Like Abraham. He, he let God change his name and he started responding to his new name and not his old name anymore. He didn't wake up one day and say, oh, just call me Abram because I'm, I'm not that new man. I'm not the father. No, he started responding to Abraham. That meant father of many nations. Amen. Father of a multitude. And so you can't go back to your own identity. Once you start, you can't just say, well, this is, I'm not going to get any better. I, you know, I've been working at the word and it's not working and, and I'm not feeling any better. And you, you don't go by how you feel. You go by what he says. This is the test, okay? The test is, can you fight the contrary wind that keeps blowing in your ears, blowing before your eyes? Uh, You know, people even go on the Internet and research illnesses to build up the evil report in themselves. Amen? I've had people confess that. Well, you know, I, I was standing on the word and then I started going on the internet research. I said, you had no business doing that. Now you know, right? Yeah, but I said, no, yeah, but let's go back to square one, start all over again and tell God you're going to stay off there. I said, just feed your natural fear when you do that. So stop doing that. Amen. The word is enough. You're already healed. What are you looking for more symptoms for? Huh? What are you looking for somebody's, another pill, another vitamin, another supplement, another? You're either healed or you're not. And make up your mind. Once you make up your mind, you're healed. The rest of it comes along pretty easily, to be honest with you. So the contrary wind comes to convince you that you're not well, that you're sick. Just like the contrary wind came to the disciples to show them that they were in peril and that Jesus didn't mean what he said. When he said, let's go to the other side. Oh, no, you're not getting over there because look what's happening. I know Jesus told you that, but look at the wind over here. Huh? That's what the devil says. Well, I know you've been confessing you're healed, but look at this right here. Let me show you this. Huh? It's true. Say amen, somebody, and cut that staring at me. Yeah, let's, you know, let's get with it here. You say enough amens, you'll start to receive more truth. You know, don't let the word just pass you by. you got to respond to it. Thank you. Not for me, it's for you. 
Amen. So just respond to that word. Don't let it make you dumbfounded, you know. So all their experience as fishermen, all their experience weathering storms will not help them here. This is like all your experience with other things that you've had. This is always a new experience in God. And Jesus knows it. So he comes to help you. And you notice he comes right in the nick of time. He didn't come ahead of the storm to prevent it. He came in the middle of it so you could know you could overcome it. This is for overcomers. This is not for preventive maintenance people. Now people say, I used to remember faith, you know, uh, faith people saying stuff like, well, I've been praying against so-and-so, so-and-so all my life. Why? You're healed. Why would you pray? And see, they'll, 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 I don't know how I got this. I've been praying against it all because you've been scared of it all along. You haven't received your healing that you're healed. You understand what I'm saying? This isn't superstition where you can ward off evil spirits. This is for overcomers. Amen. So the thing that you fear will come upon you sometimes. But that doesn't mean that you have to succumb to it. It means that Jesus must come and help you to overcome it. Period. He is your help. And so it says when they saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled saying it's a spirit. Well, they were troubled before because of the storm. But right away, Jesus spoke right away. He doesn't let the devil torment you with fear. Right away, he speaks to you and tells you, don't be afraid. you got to receive that help. you got to look for him to come and help you. When you're perplexed, you don't know what to do, you turn to him and say, Jesus, please help me. I'm scared. I'm afraid I'm never going to get any better. I'm afraid of these symptoms. I don't know what they mean. Help me. And he will come and help you. He's your help. Amen. You got to learn that. You don't learn anything else. You got to learn he comes to help you. And the, the, your biggest enemy is fear. It's not some illness. It's, it's a fear that it's going to take you out of here. That's what you're afraid of. And right away he spoke to him, be of good cheer. In other words, cheer up. Have some joy. In the midst of a storm and all this pain, i got to have joy too. You can have it. That's your biggest remedy for fear is to have joy. But see, a lot of people don't want to use it then. That's, that's when it's a good weapon for you. Right in the midst of all of your pain and all of your fear and all of your, you know, find something to laugh about. Laugh at the devil. Say, no, devil, you're not getting me this time. I see you. <laughs> and Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it's you, let me come out on the worm. Where is this coming from? What kind of response is this? In the midst of fear, in a boat, Jesus says, be of good cheer, it's me. Where's Peter get this idea from to get out of the boat? Well, he's probably in a panicked condition, period. He's probably that scared. So he just wants out. Peter is into self-preservation. He could care less about everybody else that's in there. When you're in fear, 
You want to, it's like people tell you, if you see somebody drowning, they're very dangerous to you. Unless you're really an expert swimmer, you'll see some people will knock them unconscious and then drag them to the, because they will take you under with them. So you would say that fear of death is so gripping and so powerful. So, so people who are in that panic fear mode think about nothing but preserving themselves. So Peter says, if, he, if it's you, let me come out. Well, of course it's Jesus. How do you question if it's him? If it's him, let me come out. No, if it's him, just save me and the rest of these people and not the rest of them. You understand what I'm saying? He's that far up a wall. He's distressed. He only wants out of the boat. He probably has been wanting to step out of that boat for the longest time. It's like if Jesus shows up tonight, man, I'm getting out of here. Huh? That's the way we are sometimes when we start on our faith journey. <laughs> you know, you start out believing for God for something real simple. And before you know it, you overwhelmed, panicked, crazy, losing your mind half the time. Why? Because of all the contrary winds against you. You gotta know, you can ride out any, any attack of the devil against your mind. You can rebuke it and just ride it out. It'll subside after a while. Pretty soon the devil will quit even talking to you. If he doesn't see you move on what he tells you, you just stand and not be moved by it. Pretty soon he'll leave you alone with that. He'll come back with something else later, but he'll leave you alone with that. Why? Because he sees it doesn't move you. His plan is to move you. To quit believing God, to give up on your promise, to give up on what God's promised you. He wants to move you off of your promise. So he does what he can. He tries to influence us. He tries to scare us. He tries to tell us we've done something very terrible and that's why it hasn't happened yet. That's a biggie. Because most people believe it. Because they'll say, well, what am I doing wrong? I, I've been doing that. Like, <laughs> I've tried it and it don't work. You can't say you tried the word and it don't work. It works on everything. If it got you saved and it's keeping you saved, it'll work on everything. Amen? It works on everything. You just don't have experience using it the way God wants you to. But he is giving us that experience. And that experience is a blessing, folks. Don't ever think your life is worse because you got to trust God. You need to understand what a blessing that is. I can tell because most uh, people in the ministry, they don't even go to the doctor. Don't think about it. When most of us first got saved, if we was at the doctor all the time, oh, something's wrong. You know, drawer full of pills, and now it's less and less and less and less. Why? Because the word is taking hold. So you can't say that word's not working. It's working on you, ma'am. It's working on you. Why? Because we teach the word. We don't get people in here and play music and take an offering and let you go home unchanged. You get taught the word in the meantime. So, so <clears throat> when Jesus shows up to help their faith, Peter stands out and wants to get out of the boat. 
If that's you, Lord, let me come out there. You should have, you should have believed him when he said it was him, Peter. He identified himself. And he said, peace, be still. So Peter received the peace because he was peaceful enough for his faith to work to get him to step out of the boat. But because faith motivated him to want to get out of the boat, that spirit of distraction is still working on him. And if it distracted you one time, it will distract you again. So what happens when he finally uses his faith to get out the boat, that distraction is still on him. He starts looking around again. Instead of focusing on God, he starts focusing on the trouble. See, this happens to us all the time on the road to faith. God will come and send us an answer, and it goes in our mind and goes out real fast. Like Somebody will say, well, you know, God's going to do this anyway. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. This isn't a quiz or contest to see who knows what. But God sent you that word for you to embrace it for your peace so that you could continue to believe him. But many times we're so distracted by natural situations that when the answer comes to us to give us his peace and to keep us in faith, it just shoots in one ear and out. It goes in so fast. We're so excited to be nervous. You know what I'm saying? We're so caught up in our emotions about things and caught up in what we don't have and what we're waiting on and what we're expecting, we never get the peace of God to carry us back into our faith, to let our faith keep working for us. And so we let it slip out, just like Peter did. Peter is in the self-preservation. He's scared and he sees Jesus and wants himself saved only. Got me? He doesn't want the whole kingdom thing. Jesus told the whole group they were going to the other side. He didn't tell Peter you go. See, Peter's used to being singled out. When Jesus went to the Mount of Transfiguration, who'd he take with him? His first disciples, Peter, James, and John. Peter, James, and John. So Peter thinks this is more of his exclusive situations. But Jesus said, "Uh uh-uh, I'm taking everybody. Hmm? <laughs> it's your group of ministers they always want special treatment. They get to start to think that they're really special people. Well, fear is a distraction from faith. Huh? See, in the boat, they were all doing the will of God. There's a certain amount of power and confidence in a corporate agreement on something. When you break out of that corporate agreement, then you're there to stand alone in what you believe by yourself. See? It's like if we all agree, say we all agree we're going to have our conference paid for before the conference. If anybody steps out of that, you're going to struggle. Because while you were in the corporate faith, it would have been easier for you 
to go along with the corporate power than to step out and want to be unique and do your own thing. So this is where people mess up. Because I'm different. Now I don't need that. Now I know what I'm doing. And then pretty soon you're in a mess and you don't have what the corporate see everybody else has got theirs. This happens every conference. For 24 years is still happening. Somebody gets a bright idea that they don't need or they don't even understand. Some people are obedient enough for God to teach them what the corporate power does for them and helps them with. See, I've been in churches where people didn't understand a lot of the word, but because they were in in the congregation of the righteous, there was no sick list every Sunday. There was no funerals. I mean, this would go on for years. And then people would start to get great idea, big idea. You know, I can do this, I can do that, and break off. And see, that when you're in your uniqueness, maybe you're failure if you're not careful. You understand what I'm saying? Learn how to just come into agreement as a member of the flock. And then if God wants to single you out for something, let him do that. But don't you be the one to decide you're different from everyone. Because you may be different. Not in a good way. And so it's much easier. It's, it's hard to fight the corporate power. And that's what Peter's doing here. So when he gets out of the boat, he finds out he's more susceptible to failure than he was in the boat. Because in the boat, you go along with everybody else. You have agreement. You have God's word over you. We're going to the other side. You're going to get there in this boat. And everybody is expected to get there. When you want to be different and step out and want to preserve yourself. That's when your big trouble starts. You know, people say, well, yeah, I used to do that faith stuff. And then, you know, there's nothing else beside that. They want to step out and do something extraordinary. And they don't have the average understanding of what faith does. So you need to understand that panic may hit you on the road to your promise, just like it hit Peter. It is not smooth sailing all the time. Don't panic. Just call on the Lord. Jesus will come to you and strengthen your faith. Now, why didn't Jesus just tell Peter, no, get back in the boat? For some reason, God does not like to discourage our attempts at using our faith. He always will try and encourage our attempts at faith, even though he may have to let us experience failure at it. But your failure is only temporary because he is there to help you and then pretty soon you'll begin to understand you know what it would have been better for me to stay in that boat 
Now I'm going down in Bible history as somebody who tried to walk on water and didn't have the goods. <laughs> people make fun of Peter all the time, you know. And, and then people will say, well, at least he walked on water, and that's true. It's a complicated scenario. But if you look through it, you can see where Peter, because of panic and confusion and fear, this is what was guiding a lot of his behavior here. And in the end, fear won out, didn't it? So in your searching for your answer, make sure you keep fear under your feet. Don't you let fear start grabbing you and get a hold of you. It starts grabbing you, you call on the Lord. Amen. So Peter was given into distraction and fear. And that distraction continued to uh, determine his actions. Because first he was extra, uh, uh, distracted by the winds and the waves and didn't want to stay in the boat. Jesus comes along. He thinks he has his answer. He wants out. Let me come out there where you are. Let me show these other disciples that I'm still the big man around here. I can walk on water and they have to stay in the boat. Sometimes, Peter, it's better to stay in the boat with everybody else and survive than it is to try and stand out all the time. And so all of these things, when you're distracted, your natural carnal person will start to take over. And carnally, Peter wanted to be different. Carnally, he wanted to stand out. He argued all the time, who's going to sit on your right hand and who's going to sit on your left? He desired to be more than what he was at the time. We have to be careful in wanting to share our testimony with people before it's time. Because my, my feeling is you can't focus on two goals at one time. Just focus on one, and that is getting your health back, if that's what it is. And if God opens the door for a testimony, walk in that door. But don't let your testimony try and motivate. That's too much pressure for what you're going to have to face to get it. Focusing on giving your testimony to some is too much pressure for you. It's a distraction. Focusing on what people ask you about if people want to come up and ask you over and over again how you're doing and they know you're struggling that's their problem anybody with sensitivity wouldn't do that i wouldn't do that to you miss one if i knew you were struggling to get your help i wouldn't keep coming after you asking i'm your pastor i know i can help you if you need help but i know you also know you can come to me for help if you need my help you understand so there's a delicate balance between Allowing a person to struggle and being supportive of them in prayer and wanting to pull them out and pinpoint them because you think they ought to be healed by now. You know, just don't let their problem become your exasperation. So people looking on never understand what's going on and we need to accept that and just forgive people. Just let people be themselves and you know and pray for them to be more discerning and and more respectful. Amen. And more sensitive to their own problems and own business. You know what I'm saying? We all got business. And so distraction and see people asking you how you're doing all the time is part of the distraction of the devil. 
because you may have been going on fine forgetting that you even had symptoms and they come and remind you. You know what I'm saying? So it's part of the warfare. So you got to learn how to fight that. You know, you know what I'm saying? Just let your peace be your peace. So, and I don't blame some people from just being standoffish or whatever, you know, not in engaging with people too much because it's a lot to do. So the rest of the disciples are fearful, but they stay in the boat. They're obeying the master's instruction, trusting that Jesus will come and help them out. So they know they'll get over to the other side. Peter didn't want that anymore. So he broke rank from the corporate faith and he suffered the consequences. Amen. So this is being obedient to the faith that they have thus far exercised. Peter is using faith to go in a new direction. Many times we think we need something besides God's word. Huh? Well, I I heard about this supplement or this new treatment or this laser thing or this acupuncture thing. I've heard about this. You don't need anything else, folks, to go with what that's a distraction. And it will take away from the power that you have invested in your healing by confessing the word. What could be simpler? We want to complicate things. So the tactic of the enemy is to leave us stranded in the boat that our faith has built. Huh? And think no help is coming when it gets rough. God says don't abandon your promise and think there's another way. Because Jesus is the only way to where you need to go. Amen? Why don't we stop? Father, thank you for what we have here in you. That we will look to Jesus to strengthen our faith when it gets weak. We'll look to Jesus to comfort us when we're down. We'll look to Jesus for everything that we need. And we thank you for that, Lord, and we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen and praise God.